Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Welcome to the show. It is a not-so-serious Sunday. Sunday! With Evan and Brandon <laughs> on our show, the d <laughs> Podcast. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, and uh, as we've been going through this, I actually, um, I don't know if this will happen or not, but we've been talking a lot about how to present this to our audience. And, um, you know, obviously when this started, we never really knew what it would become. And so it's kind of unfolding. It's really crazy, you know, like uh, online, people are getting really excited about it. We are still about four or five weeks away from the release of it even. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's a bit of a mind blower for you listening to this one. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. if you've been, if you've been listening from like, and from when we launched and now you're at this point <laughs> yeah. being like, what? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is actually four weeks or so four to five weeks before our actual launch, this conversation. Yeah. So yeah, we've been working on this for um, almost a year. I mean, two two thirds, if not you know, three fourths of a year, basically. Yeah. Um, and actually started before that because these conversations were never recorded actually before. We had a lot of them. Yeah. And then uh, we finally decided to do a podcast. And then you know, as uh, as it unfolded, it kind of started to become this this thing more and more. Um, I think we had an idea of what we wanted to do. We just mm-hmm. basically wanted to help people have more authenticity in their art and and maybe give some pointers on how to like, uh, advance your career in whatever field you're in. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting because I mean, I haven't gone and revisited like a lot of our, our episodes that we've done because I mean, we, we record quite a bit yeah. and to go through all of them is it's a good amount of content. I mean, as we discovered, there's like 4.7 days up to this point, yeah. like straight. You um, could up to this point, you, if you've listened to everyone, that's 4.7 days of content we've recorded. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have been doing that, then you should go and have a rest, <laughs> <laughs> put the Red Bull down. We're flattered, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, keep listening. Um, and we, we appreciate it. Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, also, I don't know if these conversations were as much about, you know, what we knew we would give to the audience, it's, I think it just as helpful for both of us. I mean, we usually leave these conversations going, man, I'm glad we had that talk. Cause I always find I walk away from it having discovered some things and looked at some things deeper. And I mean, I think that's where all this came from anyway. I mean, we just started having talks about, about things and working on our own craft and trying to become better artists. And the idea that this could help other people was, you know, I think a cool, cool thing. And so why not? Yeah. 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 So it's, it has, it's been interesting, like going through all of this other stuff because yeah, like we've recorded tons of, of episodes by this point before having even launched. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's just like, cause we really, we are, we started doing this because of the conversation, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and now it's gotten to that point where it's like, okay, like we need to start <laughs> releasing these things. Yeah. We need to get this out there. Um, so I, and I think that's, that shows how, you know, we're, we're still like kind of working through stuff too, right? Like, <laughs> like we're in the unknown. We've never done this. We've never done a podcast before. I yeah. mean, we're like, as 
I feel very familiar as far as recording podcasts. Like, it's like, yeah, I feel like we've gotten, gotten that down pretty, pretty solidly. Yeah. We've done 67 of them so yeah, far. Yeah. And it's, and it's pretty, I feel pretty comfortable in doing these now. Yeah, it's good. I, you know, I think, um, with this podcast, I think if it inspires anybody uh, for anything is just to have, you know, deeper conversations with your friends, you know, and, and other artists. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, and I, hopefully this takes off and, um, you know, if you're a new listener, you, you know, um, we, we've created a private, um, group of people, actually, of uh, artists and industry people, a community and the idea, I think, is really just to get people to start having conversations, you know, and but um, people that, you know, people that want to have these conversations, I figure if you're listening to this podcast, and you're interested in what we're talking about, you know, this, our conversations, we're just a couple of guys, and we bring on guests, but you guys can always have conversations about this stuff, too. And hopefully the topics that we talk about inspire more conversation, because, yeah. you know, and then um, I, I, I'd be excited to hear feedback from people as to what they want to hear about and what they want us to talk about if they do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think just more people getting together and talking about, um, artistry, um, and talking about this industry and how to navigate it. Because I really think that we're in a culture that tells us, um, when we're kid, you can be anything, but as we grow up, you know, we start to pursue anything. We start to pursue artistry and stuff. The world kind of goes, well, you can't do that. Yeah. It's like, where does that, where does that happen? And, and so then the conversation just gets shut down, you know? And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was telling you a little bit, my dad and I, you know, my dad's one of my, um, uh, great guides in life, but also like he doesn't, no matter what I do with art, it's always kind of like, well, you know, you need to figure your shit out. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, sometimes the, those types of things, like, I, I, I now try to, instead of like, why would you say something like that? Like that's often a very, like, that's the instinctive response to it. Right. It's like, why would you say something like that to me? Like, and you just, and you throw yourself into, into that kind of headspace with it. And I'm, I've been trying to like take these things that are, seem like hiccups or like barriers and, and try and start looking at it as exactly the thing that is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And because it's, it's great to have yourself tested, to have things come up because mm-hmm. it's like when things, when somebody says something to you that really hits on a nerve, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic thing to have happen. Totally. Because it's a place for you to go into and look at it. It's like, well, why is that? Why is this such a sensitive area for me? Like, what is this hitting on? Yeah. And uh, I recently watched that, uh, that Netflix, uh, documentary movie about Tony Robbins. I am, I'm not your guru. Yeah. I'm not your guru. And, uh, you know, I've never read any of Tony Robbins books or really watched a lot of his other videos and stuff and didn't know if I necessarily had an opinion on him one way or the other. Cause I know some people who are just like, oh, I fucking hate Tony Robbins and people who are like, <laughs> Tony Robbins is amazing, man. Yeah. Like he's just, you know, he's not for everybody. And from the sounds of it, he's like, yeah, no, I'm even says in there at one point, like I'm not for everyone. If he was for everyone, he wouldn't be good at what he did. Yeah. You know, because anyone who's for everyone, you stand for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but there was one thing that he said in there that just like, it, it, it really just like kind of smacked me in the face and I loved it. And he was telling somebody who he's sort of coaching through in, in this massive room full of people, but he was talking to this one person and he told them, it's like, well, you can blame 
I don't remember who it was. It was like a parent, like a father or, or, a, or, a, mo- or a mother or something. He says, you can blame them. He's like, but it, he's like, but if you're going to blame, then blame elegantly or something like that was what he said. He's like, cause if you're going to blame somebody for the bad stuff, oh. you got to blame them for all the good stuff too. Right. Right. And it's just like, and, and it was, it's just a great way of looking at everything that's thrown your way as being the thing that's supposed to help teach you something. Yeah. Right. And when you actually start to look at it that way, you can let so much of the emotion go and you can just get on with learning the lesson right. itself. Right. Yeah. Blame is a, is that's an interesting thing that you brought that up because, you know, I, I think a lot of people like to take credit for the good things that happen in their life as though they did them. And then for the negative things, um, you know, blame someone else as though someone else did them. And it's, you know, it's neither. It's, it's both and it's neither. I mean, everything that, that any of us have ever, ever succeeded at, someone helped us out in, you know, if you communicated well to someone, thank your first grade English teacher, you know, or whatever your teacher was teaching the alphabet and taught you how to, you know, whatever. Thank your parents for teaching how to speak. If you're good at, you know, you can thank your parents for just about everything. You know what I mean? Like even if they were really terrible parents, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, you can thank people for all sorts of things. And even the, even the things that they did, which were kind of destructive to you. Um, everybody is helping ultimately like a friend of mine, you know, I was going through a struggle a few years back and, uh, a couple of years, I probably shared a bit about it on this already, but you know, he just reminded me, he said, you know, you don't sharpen a sword against a pillow. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, Oh yeah, that's right. You know? And so when you're going through some harder times, you you know, you're, you're, you're getting sharper, you know? And so I think that you also want to thank those times and not, and not, you know, there's, there's so many ways in which we can take people and things and use them as an excuse not to do the stuff that we want to do. But at the end of the day, nobody controls you, you know? I mean, maybe when you're a little kid, you know, and you, you know, you have, uh, um, you know, you're under your parents' thumb or whatever, or your guardian or whoever that is. Um, but as you become an adult, like if someone disapproves of you, it doesn't matter. It really just doesn't matter. Like they have literally no say over you other than what you feel about it. And so if you decide not to feel anything about it, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll share something um, a little bit because I think this is just, you know, for the, for the young men and I guess young women too, but father and son situation, you know, I used to, I struggled a lot with my dad when I was younger. I wanted to be proud of me and, and stuff like that. Um, I think that's pretty common with sons and fathers, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if I was looking for that so much and I remember if he disapproved of what I did, that was so hard on me, but you know where I'm at now, it's like, um, you know, we have, we have a pretty amazing relationship the way it's evolved. And I don't really care if he's proud of me or not. It doesn't matter to me, you know, like it or don't like it. Um, this is what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And, um, it's interesting because as I've taken more of that stance, I found that there's a lot more respect between us. And, um, I don't know if, if that, that was just somewhere I had to get to, but you know, I remember he was, uh, this was actually just earlier this week. He was saying something about, yeah, well, you know, you need to do this, this, and this, or maybe not do that or whatever. And, uh, you know, that might've upset me like, you know, five or 10 years ago, but I just thought about, I'm like, whether he agrees with what I should do or thinks what I should do, can he make me do it? And I was like, no, he can't. You know what? So really it's up to me to decide how I want to do this. So like I can have like very, I don't have to let this affect me. And you know, the other thing is, you know, 
not everybody sees life the same way we do. Yeah. And if, you know, and I think everybody, and I, I, I want to call this out to all artists. This is my call to artists today. And I want to say that I want you to start looking at yourself like a genius. And the reason why I say that is not out of ego or arrogance or anything like that, but a genius is someone who can see what others cannot see. And I believe that we all have something in us that others can't see. And no one else is ever going to understand it until you show us. So it's, it is on your shoulders to at some point get away from what everyone else is telling you what to do and start listening to something inside of you, that thing that you see, the thing that you believe in. And I think that, you know, um, I I think it was Einstein or, or someone said something like that, you know, there's a quote, I don't remember what it is, but you know, maybe we'll, we'll share it, um, in the blog or something like that. But anyway, it was, it was something along the lines of, um, basically, uh, being able to see what others only get a glimpse of, you know, and, um, maybe it was science. I'm not really sure who it was, but anyway, the, the point is I agree with that. And I think that if we start looking at ourselves like geniuses, we start owning up to the fact that we are, um, brilliant, but not necessarily on the terms of the way, uh, you know, school and scholastics and industry has tried to, um, box us up, right? Yeah. Not all of us are going to be say, um, great at science or great at math or great at the English language or some other language or whatever. We're not all going to be great at all these things, but there's something in us. There's vision, there's imagination. And I think that there's something unique about that. And when people, um, get the impact of that, they'll call you a genius then, but right now I think it's on us to start believing and owning up to the fact that we already are. And the world just has to catch up to that. And yeah. and if we all guided our life that way, we'd all bring our gifts forward. You know, that's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. And then I call to action. I want people to start looking at themselves and trusting their voice. Like you and I don't have the answers for them. And, yeah. and I don't have the answers for you and you don't for me. And no one does. We, we got to find these answers inside of ourselves. No, I mean, we, I think, you know, it's, it's up to us to, to take in and, and to learn and, and to consider because I mean, like with anything, like you, people will try and tell you things. People will try and give you advice, especially parents. Yeah. Um, you know, the people that are close to us, they will tell us like what they approve of, what they don't approve of, what they think is a bad idea, what they think is a good idea. I mean, and they're, and fair enough. I mean, they're limited to, to whatever their life experience is just as you're limited to yours. However, there, I, I like what you're saying. There is, there is a uniqueness to your experience of life. And, and that is, I mean, that's yours, Mm -hmm. you know, that is absolutely yours. And for somebody else to like, that's really why it is ridiculous for someone else to think that they know what's best for some, for another. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like, worry about yourself, you know, (laughs) like advice is great, you know, and if you're, if you can learn to take people's you know, criticism or suggestions or whatever, um, you know, try and remove whatever emotion there is around that and, and consider it, you know, if if you like it, then take it. If you don't, you know, like it's still considerate, like take everything into consideration and, and just get rid of the stuff that you, that doesn't click with you. Like quest, like put it up against your own values you know, like, what are they saying? Like, like what's underneath what they're saying? Do you value what's underneath what they're saying to you? Mm -hmm. Right. And if not, well then get rid of it because that's not, 
that's, that's not who you are. Yeah. Right. And, but it's still valuable. That's the thing. It's like anytime that someone makes you stop, pause and consider, you know, like what it's like, Oh, well, am I, am I on the right track with this? Or do I agree with them? Do I not agree with them? Like that's, that's important work to do too. Sure. Like, you know, it's great to have people who are real champions of you. Like, I think there's, there's a place for your champions and there's a place for your haters, your, your haters, <laughs> I guess, like n- your, not even necessarily haters, but I don't, I don't your, um, your challengers. Yeah. Maybe. Your, your cynics or your something cynics. like that. Yeah. yeah your, your challengers. Um, it's great because it, it forces you to kind of dig through like the nooks and crannies of, of sort of your, your psyche and your, and your spirit, just like, you're like, well, holy crap, you know, this is really challenging what I think. Yeah. Right. And, and that is, that's incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. It's incredible, incredibly valuable when you look at it as being that way instead of just being like, why can't this person just support me? Yeah. Right. It's like, well, that's not like, yeah, that would be nice, but that's not what's happening. Right. That's not, that's not the reality that you're getting from this is what they're giving you. Yeah. So what's the best way for you to handle that? Yeah. Right. And take it in, take it in. Sometimes I think it's actually better to not have any support at all. And the reason why I say that is because you learn to support yourself. You learn to build, um, your own support, you know, and, um, I think sometimes, uh, when people have too much support in their life, they become weak because they rely on these people being there, take those people away. The supports are gone. They collapse. And so I think, um, going alone in life and learning how to support yourself. And that's why I think it's so important to take on big dreams, things that, that make other people uncomfortable, things that make other people doubt, you know, because then you learn you, you force yourself to learn to support yourself when everyone else believes it's impossible. And here's the thing, maybe it is quote unquote, and I don't think anything's impossible, but maybe it is pretty much impossible. Then you're, you know, and, and everybody knows it. Like, like for example, I'm going to build a spaceship and fly to the moon or something or fly to Mars or whatever. Well, most people are probably going to be like, yeah, okay. Unlikely, but that is good. Cause now I can go, okay, well, you know, what would it take for me, you know, in me to build this idea, this vision to make it real, whether you do it or not, is not always the most important thing. What's important is that you build this, you know, this sense of, you know, this sense of internal structure, you know, that you can rely on and you don't need people anymore there to hold you up. And I think also like, uh, people challenging you is really is really good because I think that ends up building character and it helps you refine your vision. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can get so caught up in only, you know, the thoughts that you're thinking, mm-hmm. right. And, and so you, you stick in there and you're like, yeah, this is also great. This is also great. This is also great. And, and you get, and you know, that's wonderful. Like sometimes you, I, I there's a place for everything, but then when you get stuck sort of in that, in that thing. And maybe it feels really good. That's usually when I find that like somebody will come along or something will come along and just throw a bit of a wrench into it. Right. Just to be like, Oh yeah. Okay. This is turning real nice. Well, see how that works. (laughs) Right. Like let's, let's throw something into like into the mix Sure. just to, just to see what happens. And you kind of spin through it and you distill it and you, you know, you spit it out and you, and you got a whole new thing of knowledge that 
with you because yeah. of that. Right. It is. It's like the, it, it's a tempering of sorts, you know, you, and, and it's vital. Well, if you avoid, if you avoid ad, um, adversity, if you avoid, avoid being challenged, you avoid people ever basically hating on you or whatever, because like, some people, some people are constructive, but they might not agree with what you do, but they're still constructive. You know, they're still kind of like, um, they it still comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of care, concern. Maybe they're fearful, but ultimately still they're wanting to look out for your best interest. You know, like when I look at say, um, well, uh, fortunate in that respect with my parents, I think, you know, whenever they've kind of been worried about me, it's more just to make sure my well-being is taken care of. I've also experienced people who were extremely envious and jealous of the strides that I had made in my life, mm-hmm. and they were doing destructive things. Um, but you know, you know, it's kind of unfortunate when people are doing destructive things. But everything ultimately um, has given me a chance to further refine who I am, and to get back up and to go again. And yeah, do I want to be around destructive people? Absolutely not. You know, do I think, do, yeah. do you think any of us should be destructive? No, but we're all going to have to face it. And I think, you know, with this podcast, just for example, you know, we could have been like, well, let's wait until we get everything figured out. Let's figure out all our marketing. Let's just, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's and make sure we have like, you know, whatever. And you, you know, if you do life that way, you're never going to get started. Yeah. You know, at a certain point you just got to go, okay, let's just record some stuff. Let's see what happens. And you know what? maybe the podcast doesn't work out. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Has my life improved? Have I, have I, have I had a good experience with this? We've become closer. It's all sorts of wins that have happened in this, you know, and I think when we base our decisions entirely on how the external world will receive them and how, you know, how to apply the lessons that everybody has done, you know, there's a certain point where sometimes you just got to get up and go. And I, and I always say this, like, you know, to young filmmakers or screenwriters, just start writing, just start making a film, you know, don't go to film school first. That's the worst thing to do. Make your film. (laughs) Like if someone right now, if you're going to film school and you're booked and you're scheduled to go in, please, before you go to film school, go make a film before you know, don't cause now you're like the moment, you know, the moment by the book, you know, I just think, man, you're, you're, you're so screwed. Like you've just basically, um, you, you now someone's taught you the, the paint by numbers version, right? Go figure out how to do it without the paint by numbers. Here's how you do it. You pick up a camera, you get some people to stand in front of it. They say some lines or do some things. Then you figure out how to cut it together on one of these many magically, basically free editing systems. And then you show your parents and your friends and that's what you do, you know, and you did that on your own and it sucks, but you know what? (laughs) It's great because in a way, there was no restriction. And then when you get the paint by numbers version of how to make a film, you already did it outside the box. So getting outside the box is not so hard for you. Yeah. Those who didn't learn before they learned paint by numbers, they're stuck paint by numbers because they think they know. Yeah. Or they'll have to learn how to do that afterwards. And it's, and it is, it's very tough yeah. trying to, to break out of the box once you're, once you're inside it. Right. Cause the box is safe. Yeah. You know, once you think, you know, you don't want to go outside of it because you go, well, I can't break that rule. I was told not to break that rule. Yeah. Like it's as though, you know, you know, I just think about those sailors who found other places in the world and people told them the world was flat and that they'd fall off the edge or a sea monster would eat them. And like, if they believed that, if they lived their life like that, you know, most people did, you know, they don't want to venture out. They were too scared. So like, 
they went out and said, you know what? Like, and they went outside the box and they, and, and then enough people start going outside the box, you start to go, wait, this theory of how people see the world doesn't add up anymore. And, and we think, I think the problem with art right now today is that we live a little bit in a world where we're told and we're kind of presented with the idea that we figured most of it out. I think that we're like a fraction of figuring out. We're like such a little tiny iota of what it could be. And, and to think that we know is just ridiculous. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, creation is endless, which is, which is part is, is a massive part of what any artistic expression is about. Yeah. It's about entering that creative space of doing something that has never quite been done before. And that, I, I mean, in my mind, that is infinite. There's an infinite capacity for that. And it's up for, for us as artists to push ourselves into that territory, which is that unknown territory. And like, again, it's just like every, the techniques and the tools, they're all great, but you know, neither of like, they're not necessary, nor are they unnecessary. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. They're nothing. They're just, they're just things, Mm -hmm. right? The, none of that can take the place of having, uh, an incredible and extraordinary vision. None of that can take the place of having uh, a deep connection to an idea or a message that you want to communicate. Like none of no technique in any art form can ever take the place of that. Right. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. That's true. You know, actually uh, it's taught that way though. So many schools, I think that those, those methodologies, methodologies are, are starting to change. Um, I would actually love to have our old, uh, acting teacher, Ted Whittle on our show sometime if we can, because the last time I saw him, he was saying some really interesting things, particularly about, um, acting and performance art, uh, and what's kind of going on within education about that, how there is actually this like this move away from conservatory style training within schools that are like, like really big international schools that are in the place they are because of a conservatory style. Right. But they're starting to branch out and say, it's like, wait, hold on. Let's, let's reformulate a plan here because there, there's something else at play. Yeah. When, when it comes to performing arts, right? right? Like, and, and it's getting into this whole territory. It was like, okay, you know what? Like it's a little bit less on, on the technical side of things because the most technically well-trained actor or artist or whatever could, can follow everything by the book and, and create the most uninspired work, right? Like it's, we've talked about this yeah. so many times no. before, but it's, it's the truth. Like it is true. There is like, you know, art painted by numbers. I mean, it's just not, there's, it lacks the authenticity. It lacks the, um, you know, unless the, unless like, unless, you know, you get away, like the, the more you, um, dilute, uh, the paint by numbers, the, the, the more authentic it can be. And what I mean is like sometimes in a film, you can have a somewhat unauthentic type of script, you know, it's a kind of a paint by numbers script. Um, and I, you know, the script does, um, hold up a lot, but I think what ends up happening is if you have a bunch of really great people who are part of it, you know, sometimes a filmmaker can come in and kind of go, you know what? Okay. It's kind of this, this, this 
film is a little trite. It's like a little basic. It's like whatever. But I have this vision. I have this idea for it. Then that adds to it. Then an actor kind of maybe plays around with the character a little bit. Maybe they get a little freedom to do some rewriting or fandangling of the script or whatever. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, something kind of blossoms. Um, you know, The Godfather, um, from what I understand, wasn't even completed while they were filming it um, or like very close to. And I think one of the things with that particular film that was that works so well is that there was a kind of discovery that was going on through the process. And, um, you know, and I read, uh, uh, biographies on Marlon Brando and, you know, initially he was actually quite scared to play the role of the Godfather and he didn't know what he would do, but he apparently, um, kind of came up with this idea this backstory about how he had kind of had his jaw or his, um, throat or something. I don't know exactly. So he thought of the cotton balls kind of to create this, you know, the, and that really informed. And so these things that artists bring that are outside of the box, no one asked him to do that. Right. Yeah. He took initiative. That is where these amazing things occur. And I think, you know, as artists, what we need to start doing is we need to start looking at where we can take initiative. No one's going to tell us how to do it. There is no paint by numbers. There's no, like, you don't, you know, you don't, no one's going to tell you what to do. You got to figure it out for yourself and find it within. Yeah. And I don't know what the story is necessarily behind how Marlon Brando came to that. But I mean, this is one of those, because I want to, I want to get into this because as an actor, I, and from having, you know, learned being taught acting in certain ways throughout, you know, my training is that that's something that can, that's a story that can easily be like watered down and you lose the entire point of what's going on with that. Because, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, it's like you, you know, Marlon Brando, he did this performance that was iconic. And it's like, yeah, he stuck a couple of cotton balls in his mouth. The next thing you know, you have a young actor who's just like, oh, I'm just going to do something crazy or I'm just going to do something interesting for the sake of being different and interesting, which is again, not the way to go. Marlon Brando, like the reason why that happened is because he was in whatever part of his process he was in starting to like try this character on, feel this thing out. Yeah. And, and this was something that, that came to him, right? Like this idea of like, Oh, like something happened to him. Like, and, and it spun off from there. And then that, like, there was something behind it that was organic, that was spontaneous, that was in the moment whenever he discovered it. Like, it just like, because I've had those moments and, and I know where they come from. And I've had the moments where I've worked the opposite way where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, at this point, I'm going to do this because it's going to be different. And people are going to be like, whoa, that's crazy and fucked up. And, and then you do it. And it's just like, like, I've literally done like, gone through that process before, put up a scene in front of like a teacher or like, and on the odd occasion, like actually working and, and worked in that way of doing something because I thought it was interesting to do just because I thought it was interesting to do. Yeah. And it just was awful. (laughs) Like it was just like, it did not, it did not pan out well at all. Like it was totally, you start you start doing whatever this thing was that you were, you planned on doing. And next thing you know, you're doing it and you feel so unnatural and you just feel so like it feels so put on yeah. and so forced. And that translates 
oh my God, does it translate? <laughs> like people are just like, what the hell is that? Right. Yeah. And I got called out on it like almost every single time. Sure. You know, and that's not, that's pretty common. I've seen that a lot, you know, um, in, oh yeah, in it's easy to see. It's, uh, you know, I think, um, that it's great. You know, the watered down version of it, right. Because I think it really comes down to a couple of things, you know, in whatever medium it's, it's, you know, I've had teachers say, you know, I remember working with one teacher in particular, but just like, you got to do something interesting. It's always like, you got to be something, do something interesting. Like, and it was more about the result of doing something interesting. So as a student, although I think the idea that the teacher was trying to present was a good idea, like, yes, you know, find some originality, find something different. But it, you know, I think, um, you know, educators of today, mentors of today, guides of today are kind of looking at it more like, okay, our goal might be for you to find something interesting about this, but how do we do that? What would, you know, what would inform, you know, because like, if you look at the Brando story, like it's not that he just stuck cotton balls in his mouth. Yeah. He actually backed up that story through what he interpreted as the character because it made sense to him. Not because he thought, well, well, maybe, I mean, maybe he recognized that it would be interesting, but the thing is, is like, I think from him and from what I've read, at least, I mean, I don't know him personally, but from what I've read, um, it was very much more about this, this guy had lived a certain life and to kind of pay tribute to that life, which is kind of imaginary. This is, this is how he was going to bring it forward. Yeah. And then everybody looks at that and they go, Oh, wow, he did this and whatever. But you know, actually after working with Ted, you know, Ted was great with this. He would help us do these character exercises and it would always come more from the, you know, from something much deeper than what the ultimate effect was. In fact, I don't know if I ever knew what the effect would be until I experienced it in the moment of doing it. Like for example, can I just give an example? Yeah, please, please. He got me to do this one thing, which was basically I was playing a character that kind of had a, uh, a speech impediment, but he was a little bit slower. So everything he said kind of sounded like this. You see kind of everything he talked, he couldn't quite say a word and it sounded just off. Okay. So I did the whole scene with this, th- this speech impediment. And, um, there was kind of a physicality to it. You don't even really notice what I'm doing when I'm doing it. But I had to ask this girl basically like I had to like express that I, I, I wanted her to like me. Yeah. I can't tell you how much my heart broke. I was so emotional in the scene because it brought out something in me, which made me feel so not good enough. Yeah. I'm even emotional now thinking about it. I didn't know that was going to happen until the moment happened. And so as I'm speaking to her with this kind of talking and I'm, I'm trying to act like I have everything together. I'm thinking in my mind, why would she ever want me if I sound like that? Yeah. I'm getting emotional. It's talking about it. And yeah. it brought out a really true, honest part of myself, which is that in real life, I'm walking around and there's this part of me, this, this part of me, no matter how well I dress, no matter how well, you know, life is going, no matter how much money I make, no matter how funny I am, there's a small part of me that that's true. I look and I see some, someone I want or someone I like, and I think, what would they ever see in me? Why would they ever choose me over someone else? And this character with that voice impediment, it infused that like a thousand times. So you, you know, and you're, I'm holding back the tears yeah. and I don't want to cry in front of her, 
and and everybody's crying. Everybody told me afterwards. They're like, when you did that scene, like I was like, I, I it was killing me. Yeah. And I was like, but I, I just thank Ted because Ted, his process was about doing character work from this place. You didn't know the result or how it would affect someone. Yeah. You didn't even know how it would affect you, but it came from this and it brought out something. It was just wonderful. Yeah. It was yeah. a case of something happening to you as opposed to you trying to put trying something to put on, something on yeah. right. Which is, I, I think this is a huge part of the artistic process. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because like that, like that one thing connected to something in you that you, you related to, and it took you to a place that you didn't know right? It took you into a place that you didn't know was going to happen. And I mean, I think that that's, this is the, that is the creative space that happens. I mean, with Marlon Brown, I don't, again, I don't know this for sure, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is the truth of, of this whole story is that, you know, he did not begin that as an intellectual exercise. That was not an intellectual thing. And that, because this is also, I think, again, a, a backwards way of, of sort of working is because it was like, Oh, well, you know, like you would come up with like an interesting thing to do, but then it'd be like, Oh, but you, you do have to back it up. There's gotta be something behind it. But now you're still working from an intellectual place of just being like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And now, but now you're creating an intellectual backstory behind this intellectual idea, you know, as to why your character is like this or as to, or why you're doing whatever it is in this performance or in this work that you're, that you're producing. Right. Right. So it's, it's a thing that happens in the moment. This is why, like, I I feel like we could talk about like why this podcast could go on forever (laughs) and forever and ever because the, like, because the creative process is such like, there's so kind of little that we know about it. Well, look, like we don't know so much about like, where does this shit come from? Yeah. Right. Like we have no idea. Cause like when it, when something comes to you and sort of you're doing the work and sometimes it feels like slogging, but like when something comes to you, you're just like, where the hell did that, where did that even come from? Yeah. I don't know anything about this, Yeah. but there it is. It's like clear as day. It's like, boom, it's just entered into your mind seemingly out of thin air. Yeah. And you've got this thing that's just like, it's real and it's in you and it's moving through you. And it's just like, and, and it takes you somewhere. It takes you. That's where the creative life exists. Like it's, it's in that space of like, I don't know what the shit this is, but wow, is it amazing? Yeah. And you do it. (laughs) Like you express it, you put it into what you're doing because otherwise it's all just masturbation. It's all just like a bunch of contrived crap. Right. And that's what has been the frustration and joy of artists for generations and thousands of years is getting into that place. And as an artist, that's what you need to be engaging with. That's what you need to be like, like technique, great, whatever, but it's secondary. Yeah. It is always secondary. Start to learn how to get into that space. Yeah. Right. Where like, boom, like you're getting hit with stuff. Like, and these, the greats are the ones who I think who, who learned their process, who learned certain ways of, of how they could get into that space, how to tap into that place. Right. And it's going to be different for everybody. 
you know, it's, it's, you hear stories of people just like locking themselves off from like the rest of the world and doing, you know, that was part of their process. They needed to do that in order, but for some people it could be wandering the streets in like a busy bustling metropolis. And suddenly that's where their, their creative juices start happening for some reason. Like it's starting to tap into those things and, and getting connected to what gets you into that, into that place where these things are flowing for you, where these, these points of inspiration, these ideas are, are hitting you, not just in the, in the mind, but in the heart, you know, like into something really deep inside you. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and it's easy to recognize when that happens because it is, it's like, it's a visceral thing. It just consumes every part of your being when you stumble upon these things. Right. So it's like, that's, that's what you're looking for. That's the rush that you're looking for as an artist, right? It's just like, I want to, I want to get into that shit. Yeah. You know, that's when I know that whatever anybody thinks about it at the end of the day, like, I know that, I know that I was onto something. I knew I was tapped into something that was kind of beyond myself. That was there for, for the time it was supposed to be in. It was whatever is going to come of it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think also, that was my soapbox. No, that's great. I liked it. That was, I mean, there was so much good stuff in there. And, and I, I think that's it. I mean, I, just to comment on that is that I think as artists, we have to relinquish control as much as possible. We really do. I mean, if you're in control, if you, if, and, and I want to be, I want to be mindful of how I express this idea. We're in control always intellectually. I mean, I don't think you're really a character and then you forget who you are. I, I think that's bullshit. I, I mean, I think momentarily you're so present that nothing else matters than, than this character. But I think that unless you're insane, unless you have like some type of chemical imbalance or something in your head, you're, you're not going to start stabbing the other person because your character wants to murder them. I mean, your mind has this way of kind of keeping everything in check. I, I, yeah. I think at least in my experience, I mean, um, you know, it, but the, the, the other thing too, is I think emotions are not something that we just get to control. And we're in a society where we've learned to start controlling all our emotions. You know, we, we have sugar to get it a little bit of an up. We got caffeine. We got this drug, that drug. We got antidepressants. We got smoking. We got all these stuff. And all it does is all it controls our emotions. It's not even really controlling. It's numbing our emotions. It's burying our emotions. Totally. And then, so then we feel this sense of control. We feel, you know, but the thing is, I think with artistry, it's a lot about like not making any of your emotions wrong, not any single one wrong and learning how to, um, embrace them for what they are. You know, I think when an emotion comes up, the worst thing you can do if you want to get rid of it is deny that it's there. The best thing you can do is acknowledge that it's there. And that's the soonest that it will probably pass because once you, you know, once you accept that it's there and you, and you own that, then you can move on and another emotion might come up and actually you might go through several and then you might come back to that same emotion again. But the thing is, is that if we make certain emotions wrong, we make certain ones bad, we start to limit our expression of life. And I think what you're talking about when you say at least my interpretation is you're kind of talking about the way I hear it is that we find our artistry through our expression and our expression is something that is, um, it's, it's not, it's, it's not something that we get to always dictate, you know, like, um, 
let, let me give you an example. You take someone who feels really scared of the world, you know, really beaten up and they feel like if they say anything, people are going to make fun of them and insult them and whatever. I, I went through this. I live this. So, yeah. You know, I, I, I know this. So then what they start doing is they start, they, they don't speak up when something happens. And instead of making the joke, they just stay quiet because they're worried that everyone's just going to make fun of them or, you know, whatever. And so they learn to suppress their expression. You know, I did this for a good period of my life. Now, what happens is you, you have this, uh, basically you're killing, uh, you're killing the urge to go and do something that you would otherwise do. So I think with artistry, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to stop killing those instincts for us to, when we really want to express something. And, you know, if, if, um, you know, and I I really am an advocate for artists feeling safe and feeling, uh, and feeling a certain amount of, um, allowance to try and fail. But we grow up in a world, and this is my opinion, but I do think that many people agree with me, at least at this point, we grew up in a world where if you fail or you mess up or you make a mistake, that people will make fun of you and that you'll be wrong and it's bad and it's all these other things. And there's all these horrible consequences as a result. Exactly. Yeah. So that kills art. But if we grew up in a world where we, where we were allowed to fail, where failure was actually good, where people went good. Okay. It didn't work. What went wrong? You know, what, what happened? Like, what you learn as opposed to going, ah, oh, you idiot or whatever, you know? And so like, I think children at a very young age who are in school right now, I think it's good to learn right and wrong. I think it's good to learn a certain sense of like, this is correct and this is incorrect. Um, but, but if you're incorrect to not make either good or bad, just because like you're right and you know it doesn't make you better than the other person. And just because you're wrong doesn't make you less than, but I think we kind of grow up in a world where people want to be right because they think that they're better or something if they're right. And it's like, in fact, you know, you could argue that you're better if you're wrong because then you had something to learn. If you're always right, you're never learning. But we grew up in a world where it's not about learning, it's about being better. And so I, you know, I think what your, your rant kind of went off on was like, you're learning your expression. You don't know it. And I think maybe when, when we've done it and we're, we've done it for 20 years and we've learned to freely express, maybe then we can start to say, Hey, I kind of know how I express things. But at this point we're, we're all so fucking boxed in. We don't know. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, and again, like it's, it's infinite in the places that it can go. I mean, I'm sure that even the most seasoned, you know, veterans, like they, they all have their challenges, you know, a certain thing, every work presents a a new kind of a challenge that, you know, you might have, have some, some things that normally work for you, you know, in terms of, of getting yourself into that, that space where, where the creativity is really flowing. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not a guarantee, right? And it's, and that's the, that's the territory that, that you're working in as an artist. I, I always love to say Daniel Day Lewis, who in an interview said, it's like, it's mining in the muck. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's, it's not a science. Like it's, it's mining in the muck. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 and I agree. I don't think it's a science. I think that it's uh, you know, I think that when you get down to each human being, there's certain consistencies. I mean, you look at say social psychology, which I love. It's one of my favorite, you know, sciences, some people even don't consider it a science, but I, I do. But anyway, they, they basically 
help measure how we're socialized and how we'll commonly um, basically conform to certain things based on our socialization and whatever. But I think each and every person has a certain kind of expression and a certain essence in them. And the only science about that is the fact that we can recognize that everybody at the core is different. But what is the greatest disaster of our generation and and even the generations before us right now is that we live in a world where people are not yet allowed and it's not yet socially acceptable for you to express who you are outside of the conformity of the social box. And this is why I love social psych because social psych helps me see how we're programmed to socialize and how, how we're, we're, we're taught to conform in a way we don't even know we're conforming because my, I, my idea is that once I understand how I've been socialized, then I can, then I can recognize that my socialization is not me, that it was something that I learned how to function within, but that I can separate myself from it because you know, and you've seen me do this and, you know, so has your fiance, but like when people (laughs) sometimes say stuff, not, I'm not always, but sometimes I'll be like, what do I really want to do right now? Not from a place of, I want to, yeah, I really want to do what you guys want to do. And then moments where I go, no, I want to do what I want to do right now. And not to make anyone wrong and not to whatever. And there's this part of me that goes, do I want to honor what I really want to do right now? Or is there a greater value? I want to get the group together and I want to do what the group does because I want the group to work together right now, but to check in with myself and not just do it because you guys all want me to, Yeah. but do it because of the value I'm upholding, which by the way, we did a podcast on that, which was pretty good. Yeah. The other one, I think it was the last one. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe recent. Yeah. Recent. recent. Yeah. One or two or three before here. But anyway, yeah. So like checking in with my values. And so I think with artists, we, that's what we really got to do. We got to check in with our values and stop trying to fit in, you know, stop trying to do the right thing so much, but you might end up doing the right thing, like quote unquote, the socially right thing, but not because you're conforming, but because you're choosing, which is a much different thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I think this is kind of like part of our path to you know, that that's where the science kind of goes off because once people start acting uh, authentically and they start acting out of their values and they stop conforming, the science of people breaks down quite a bit, you know, and it becomes very unpredictable and you can understand why socialization happens. We want people to conform because it feels safer. And, and yeah. also most of us do have a value of safety and security. So all in all, it is good that people conform. Conformity is not bad. It's just that conformity is not so good for us as artists when we do it blindly. Yeah. Right. It's good that we line up. Like if I go to Starbucks and some guy shows up 10 minutes after me and the lineup's like been around the corner, not that I ever wait in the lineup for that long for Starbucks, but whatever, I've been waiting for a few minutes and then they just show up and they just walk up and grab their coffee. Meanwhile, I've been waiting. That's not good. That's not fair. That's not going to socially work in our dynamic for us to function. So it's good if everyone lines up. But to line up, I line up when I line up, I go, well, I'm lining up because, you know, I was here at this time and everyone else was here at this time. And you know, it makes sense. I like it. I agree with it. It's a good rule. Let's do it. Yeah. But not because I'm like, I have to line up. Like I recognize that I could cut in front of someone in traffic or I cut in front of someone in the line. I could do that, but I'm not going to do it. Not because I'm not so much because I'm worried whether they like me or not, but because I don't want someone to do that to me. And I think, Hey, 
I just here to grab a coffee. Like we don't need to make a big deal out of this. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like that. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe that's too simple of an example, but art is like that. Like we don't need to do a scene a certain way because like, that's how it's been done or that's how it's been presented to us. The writer say, for, here's a better example. The writer writes out how to do the scene. Well, the writer suggested how to do the scene. The writer did not order you how to do the scene. That is a really important acknowledgement. Yeah. The director might tell you, walk over there and do this. That is a suggestion. It is not an order. It is not a rule. You do not have to follow it. But yet people go, well, they're the director. I have to, I don't want to get fired or something. You could always say to them, well, Hey, you know what? I was actually thinking this. Yeah. And here's why. And the director can say, Oh, okay. Interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me think about that. Or they could say, you know what? Just do it my way, whatever. But the thing is, is, and maybe you're working with a dictator director. Maybe they're not your, uh, maybe they're not the one that's going to help you launch your career. Maybe they are because you don't know better, whatever. But the point is, is that you're thinking critically. And that's the, that's where the dynamic of the science of people start to break down. I mean, once you start with self-expression, we can't measure that anymore because we don't know what's inside anybody until they tell us, you know, we don't know, like someone could, can smile and pretend and, and be like, I'm, I'm joyful. I'm fulfilled. But we don't know if they are, we don't watch them when they're alone in their house. Anyway. Yeah. That's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Want to present a beer? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what the beer is. I know who it's from. You said this is from Callister. Callister. Yeah. Callister Brewing. This oh. is the Hastings Sunrise. Hastings Sunrise. Yeah. It's a wheat beer. Yeah. What do you think? It's a tasty brew. Tasty brew. I wanted something that, you know, it's still the it's tail still end of summer, tail end of summer. It's a little, you know, that is going to be good for kind of a warmer day. Um, not like, not like, you know, too light. It has a little bit of a darkness to it, but, uh, it was tasty. Also, it has a little bit of a strawberry hint. I don't know if you mm. noticed that. Oh yeah. 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 You got that. Like it's definitely got that citrus hit. Yeah. They, um, you know, actually Callister is definitely one of my favorites. They, they, every beer that I seem to get there has been a really, really enjoyable one. They, they, they're one of those beer craft breweries where I just find like their whole lineup is usually really good. I also find with them, their beers, every time I go in there are changing quite a lot. So, um, I think they're the kind of, but it's been really consistent regardless of the change. They keep stuff pretty fresh. Yeah. Pretty like give you something new to, to, you know, wrap your taste buds around. Yeah. But probably keep a f- couple of nice staples. Oh shit. You threw some on yourself. Yeah. I threw, <laughs> you got excited. I did. I was giving it a swirl <laughs> for some reason. Like you swirled beer. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, but, uh, you no, I, I really like this. This is, um, it's really easy drinking. Like yeah. it's really like, it doesn't leave too much like sweetness or tartness, like on, on like the, at the tail end at, on, like it finishes really nice and clean, which just makes you keep reaching for it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the, the reason why we present a beer on every podcast, if this is your first one, and if it isn't just bear with us, but, <laughs> um, the reason why we present a beer on every podcast is because a lot of these conversations started, um, actually we were writing at a cafe a lot. That's really how, um, we were doing a lot of our work, at least on our redrafts of, of a certain script. 
And then we started to be kind of at this uh, cafe and they had like a couple really nice beer selections. So we'd kind of go with the dark one day and then the, the, the lighter another day. And then one day we were like, you want to just go to a local brewery and start writing there? And so we went down to, uh, 33 acres was our, was our brewery that we was close by. So we went down to them and, uh, we'd have some beers and, you know, some, some food and whatever. And we, we usually before our writing session started, this conversations would be about half an hour, an hour, sometimes more, but yeah, (laughs) but we would, uh, we would chat and we would have this really great talk, catch up about each other's week and, kind of, they turn into these really great talks about art and integrity and this industry and whatnot. And then I think one day, um, you know, we were just like, well, maybe we should consider doing a podcast. And so we kept the tradition of the beer. Every time we do a podcast, we try a new craft brewery, a new beer from, from a craft brewery at least. And so, uh, yeah. So every, every, um, every podcast we have, we have a beer that's, uh, you know, local craft brewery. And we just thought it's, I think the thing is, at least for me, the way I thought about it was beer or coffee or whatever it might be, even if it's a, a shake or something, it's a good way for a couple of people to get together and have a conversation. Yeah. And so, you know, going with tradition, that's why we do it. Perfect. Yeah. I figured I'd let everyone know. I feel know. like we should try and do uh see if we can do a podcast at 33 acres. Yeah, that would be one great. One day, because that is, uh, that is like as much, like we love all of the breweries that we've, we've gone to. Yeah. And, and that are in town and, and enjoyed many of their beers. 33 acres, I feel has like kind of a special place just because <laughs> that's where there, it was all sort of where it all began. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to mention they are one of my favorite, uh, like one of my absolute favorites in the city. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, and, uh, you know, and not to take away from any of the other breweries, I mean, that's just where we, we began, but, um, you know, we could do podcasts at, at all of them, you know, yeah. and, and not just in, uh, in, in Vancouver either. I mean, I would love to go down the coast and go across the world and meet some of these other breweries. And, and one thing I really like about brewery is it's a kind of an art we don't really talk about a lot on the podcast, but I think that's something that people don't realize. Like these, these, breweries, these craft breweries, I mean, they make an art out of creating these beers. Oh yeah. You know, and, uh, and the, just the, the various designs, I mean, we've had just on the podcast alone, we've had, this is our 68th beer that we've had. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we've had the, the chance to really try a lot of different types of beers and it's been, you know, it's been great. And I think, that's one thing about this podcast. I think we talk a lot about film. We talk a lot about music, but, um, art is in, in so many different ways we can express it. And I think, you know, when I, when I talk to, you know, the brewmasters and the, and the people who are part of these craft breweries, they're excited about it. And I think that's what we, you know, that's what we're kind of encouraging. I think on this podcast is to get excited about creating and expressing. And, you know, I just imagine, I don't know, like, like, but I talked to some of my friends who craft beer and they're like, I'm going to try this beer with like a honey citrus kind of, and they get excited about it because yeah. they have these ideas of how they want to infuse their own beer as they make it. And I just imagine like all these craft breweries, they must, they must do that. You know, they must get like excited. And that's like, when you're going to make a film, it's like, I'm going to do this film. I have this idea. Like right now, actually, um, I I've actually been kind of collecting a team to do this YouTube series, which is I'm not going to exp- tell too much about it yet, um, just because we're still getting it off the ground, but it's this very unique way to express something, um, which is kind of already has a pre-sold franchise kind of idea, but this very unique way of expressing it. 
And, and I've told people about it and they're like, this is awesome. Like, and they're, and they're throwing ideas at me and then, you know, whatever. And, and I hope this thing does come to be, but it's been a really fun experience of just kind of like, I had this idea of like, why don't we try doing it this way? And there's that, actually that movie, um, you, myself and, and your fiance were talking about coming up with, I'm Batman and, and Robin. Robin. Yeah. <laughs> Which anyway, it, it's not long bat- story, it's, but it's not a Batman and Robin, uh, show. But anyway, we were, we've been talking about the concept of what that would be. And everyone's throwing their ideas in the pot. It's just exciting. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Um, okay. So, well, like, what are we, what are we talking about today? Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> what have we been talking about? I mean, I, I feel like we've been getting into like the, what is the creative space and our, you know, our, and in, obviously like definitely integrity, which is part of the big word that <laughs> we like to, to use around here. And, uh, but what our message is like in terms of, um, having your values and, and weighing things against your values and communicating those values and, and standing behind them and being, being an individual and, and expressing from the core of what makes you unique. Like yeah. we've been getting into lots of juicy, juicy stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think, um, also as artists, like, and I mean, we, when we're doing all this stuff, what's the goal, you know, what's, what, what is the goal here? And I think, um, it's always important to remember that it isn't about appearing any way to anybody else. It isn't about your image or, about succeeding financially and making a bunch of money or becoming a big deal. I I think that that's all a confusion. Um, you know, and some people might disagree with me, but I really think that this life that we live, it's temporary and it's about, it's about living joyfully and it's about expressing yourself and, and going out and doing the things that you really believe in and you really want to do. And I think, um, you know, it's really important for us to, to aim to try to connect more to who we are. I don't want to live my whole life being a carbon copy of some idea that I was presented with. And I think that, you know, in my twenties, um, it was, it was difficult, you know, it it was difficult to say, get around, um, get around certain ideas that I thought I had to be or thought I had to do or whatever. And I'd say, I'm the most joyful in my life I've ever been now. Not because everything looks the way that I imagined it would look and probably for good, you know, but because I live the life that I feel is much more true to me. And and I'm building right now, I feel like I'm building my life from a foundation of that truth. And I think that, you know, I mean, we, you know, we were talking to a couple friends the other day, right? And one of them was sharing about how they worked a job for five years and they just hated it. And they were like, I did this cause that's what I, you know, I thought I was supposed to do. Actually, they both yeah. shared stories that way. And I, I was so thankful to hear that. And, um, you know, and now they're kind of like moving and, and, and redirecting their life. And I think that, you know, life, life is short. I, I think in our generation is beginning to pick up on that, whether you're an artist or not, it's, uh, you don't want to live you don't want to work until you're 60 
and own a house and own a bunch of things and then die, you know, and, and realize then, that you haven't really been excited about your life for the last couple of decades. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not, um, you know, it's, it's no way to live. Um, granted, yeah, you know, in our, in our society, the way that we function, we do need to make money. We do need to function. But I also think that, that artists, we're all artists. We're all, we're all geniuses in our own way. And we all have an essence about ourselves that is unique. Um, and it's, I think it's our goal to find that, um, yet at the same time, we're all kind of the same in a way. And that's a beautiful part of it too. But I think what will really help people is, you know, I've been, I don't know, sometimes I think about dedicating my life to helping people become more aware of materialism because the more I've studied about psychology and the more I've learned about it, the more I realize that we've been programmed to buy. We've been, we're basically like, like, um, we, you know, with the, um, with capitalism and with industrialism to make money, to feed the economy, to get us to kind of do certain things. We've been programmed to believe we need, um, all these pairs of shoes, all these pairs of pants, clothes, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. We've, we've been taught that we need to buy all these things, have all this stuff. And we've been taught that if we do it, that the exchange is happiness and joy and fulfillment in life. And we've been sold this. And so, um, we really, we really have to kind of, it's, it's like a, it's like we've been injected with a disease and what we need. And the only way to actually stop the disease from taking over is for us to like literally like do a cleanse. We have to almost cleanse our life of our materialism and like, um, and, and begin to see that, that we, that our life, that our experience is actually all that matters. Like, and these things can help your experience. Like that's where things get caught up because we'll go, well, I want the sports car because I want to experience the feeling of driving fast. And it's like, like, yeah, okay, great. But you, and maybe I want the sports car because I want to feel like I'm a big deal. When I show up somewhere, I want people to look at me that I want the experience of that. Okay. That's fine. But be honest about that. Don't, don't get caught up in the fact that you need the car to be valuable. The thing is, is that you are valuable regardless. The experience sometimes is not attainable without the material thing, like at least not that way, but don't attach your identity and your value to the material. That's the problem is industry and capitalism. And this idea has taught us to attach our value to our materials. Mm -hmm. And that's where things have gone astray. Cause we're willing to like kill people for money. We're willing to like steal things. But yeah. once you realize that things don't make you, you start to look at that stealing actually defines you, not the getting the thing. Then you start to separate yourself from that. You're going to go, well, wait, like maybe these actions I'm taking are not so good. You know, what says more about you than the car you own. It says more about you, whether you stay committed to your goal of like, this thing in life or, or you say committed to a friend, if you say you're going to show up somewhere, then this car you have, your word means so much more. Your, your, your expression and your experience is so much more of you than everything else that's around you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough, I mean, that's a tough battle. It is a tough battle. It's one that we've been, you know, that we've been told for a long time, you know, like, 
since almost the dawn of, of man, there's like been, you know, people talking about the, you know, basically say like, be wary of like, of like possession, you know, this idea of your possessions, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, and most people like if like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a common expression and it's just like, Oh, there's, there's more to life than money. Right. And almost everybody you say that to would probably agree with that. I would say at least, you know, nine and a half people out of 10 would say like, <laughs> one like, person's on the fence. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, no nah, man, money is what it's all about. There are people who are like that. Yeah. Um, but it's most people, it, which is kind of what's the, the, the funny thing to me about it all is most people would be like, yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Like there's, you know, like family, friends, like people could list off, you know, the top of their head, a number of different things that are more important to them than money. The difference is how do we actually go about our lives? Right. And most of us are going about our lives, pursuing this pie in the sky, pursuing this, this thing that, you know, of, you know, things of things. I mean, and we're saturated by it. We're taught, we're constantly being told to consume and to buy. And the, and the way that we're even told to buy things like products, you know, my, my dad, um, he runs entrepreneurship programs and he teaches entrepreneurship. So like one of his favorite parts, um, of, of his, of like his programs and his classes is when they get to marketing and he gets into, he's like, well, what do like, and he says, uh, like what, what is Budweiser sell? Like beer, beer, right? Everyone's like, yeah, they sell beer. They sell sell lifestyle. They sell a lifestyle. Yeah. Right. You know, the Bud guy, the Budweiser guy is different than the Stella Artois guy. Sure. Good example. And it's, and this, you'll notice that this is how every single, like if you watch commercials, which so much of us aren't anymore, right. (laughs) Which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but if you watch commercials, like intention, do this as an exercise, you know, if you're, if you like, however you can watch like a television program normally where you get commercial breaks, watch them and look at what it is that they're actually selling you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's a product behind it, but everything is actually giving you an image. You're being sold an image of something that this product is actually, is somehow going to deliver this to you. You know, like one of the ones that I, that I think is ridiculous and whatever, I'm going to name names is Coca-Cola. Yeah. Coca-Cola's ads are the most absurd things I think I've ever seen in my life. Though, like the way that people are just like partying out in the streets and everyone's just like the like best of friends, like, Hey, yeah, I guess being a, but somehow that that's all tied to Coca-Cola is really kind of a strange thing to me, but well, yeah, I mean, I mean well, <laughs> they do a really good job with their marketing in the sense that, you know, um, Coca-Cola, um, and, and I, I'd say even for me, it does bring up good feelings. I, I think about, um, it brings up, uh, even though I don't really drink Coca-Cola, um, it's, it's br- like good times. It brings like, up these feelings of good times. And yeah. they show you images of like, kids running in the streets and like people on the beach. And it's just like, it's like they sell you youth. Yeah. Like that's one of the big things. They sell you youth and they sell you, you know, like nostalgia. They sell you, you know, 
this sort of I this concept of a better time mm-hmm. or something like that. And yeah. but that's really what they're selling you, right? They're selling you an image of what your life will be like with this. But it's but then you get it and it's just like, you know, it's a plastic bottle of coke in your hand. <laughs> Right. Like, and it's like, you're sweating and maybe you're like on a bus or something like that. And like, there's, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just like that. And you're like, this is not Coca-Cola. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it, it's, it's kind of crazy, but this is how pretty much every single advertisement, every single, what every single product is doing is like, they're, they're showing you a lifestyle, every clothing company, even print ads, yeah, it's an experience. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll admit, like, you know, I don't drink Coke, like, anymore, really. I mean, very rarely, but, um, or, you know, like, uh, any of those sugary drinks anymore. But um, sometimes it's nice to have a Coke. Um, it's like a treat. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not against it. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, it, it, you know, you get these ideas injected into you so much. And that's kind of like what I was saying before. We are a little bit infected by um, this. And what we don't realize is that that same experience that we endow the Coke with, we could endow just about anything with. I mean, you could endow water with it. You don't, you know, that's being conscious of it, right? Like when you go beyond the marketing, when you go beyond the programming, beyond the cattle call, of what this marketing is doing, you can start to make anything great. Um, you know, yeah. Cause again, like none of these things are, are like, they're not good or bad. Like products are not good or bad, but I think the issue is, is like what we're led to think that they will deliver us. Yes. Right. Which is like, they, they're nothing. They're, 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 they're a product. Like they well, serve a function. Totally. You know, a very specific function, but it's not going to change your life. Well, you know, (laughs) but that's exactly what most products are trying to tell you. It's like, this will change your life. And for the most part, none of them will. Well, and it's, it's, I don't think anybody's going to go like, Oh, I know, like, I know Coca-Cola doesn't change my life. I know I'm not going to wake up and be someone in the commercial. Like I can, I could just hear someone saying that right now, but it's not that it's doing that. It's like, it's like a good feeling. Like if you were, um, like, a. a a rat in a maze. You know, every time you did something bad, you got an electric shock. Every time you did something good, you got some food that you wanted, right? What happens is it's just, um, it's stimulus response. You start to create the stimulus and the response to the same thing. So you get a Coca-Cola, you start to feel good. You know, in, uh, in the States right now, if you order a large, um, a large soda at, at some of these places, it's a liter. And I actually, um, I believe it's two liters of Coca-Cola, like at least a liter for a large, a liter. Okay. Like it's insane. But like in America right now, right in the States, a lot of people will be like, no, that's normal. But then there's, there's a massive amount of society that's, that's suffering from major obesity and And diabetes. And also then on the same side, now here's where it's really bad. Right. And and, and this does relate to art because it's how we're being communicated to. And it's actually, it's actually, um, limiting us, but you're, you're sold at one in one angle. Hey, drink this Coca-Cola. You're going to feel really great. You're going to have the life you want. Feel good, feel good, feel good. 
Now you're fat and overweight and you've got health problems and you might have cancer and you know, heart problems. So here, here's this exercise thing. You need this exercise thing and it's fast and it's quick because you're busy. You're busy and you need this now. You need this fast. And so you're, you're sold two messages that directly contradict each other and they're sold to the same audience. Yeah. And so instead of like actually trying to help the audience, like, cause that's what a real, like, that's what a real, like someone who really had your back would do. They'd try to say like, Hey, like, uh, you know, um, eat better. That might actually be more important than working out or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're saying you can eat fast food and you can lose weight. You know, you can do this and do that. And so what ends up happening is we get totally confused because we're trusting, um, certain, uh, uh, unethical businesses that are kind of communicating messages. Now, listen, having a Coke here or there, having a, having a bottle of Coke or a can of Coke, I'm, I'm yeah. like, yeah, cool. Have some beer. You know, we could be drinking water right now, right? But it's within reason. The problem is when the programming comes to the point where it's actually an abuse of it. And also where we're not actually, um, our best interests are not actually being like, you know, we're not being yeah. aware, right? Like, having a liter of Coke every day and having fast food every day is majorly like detrimental to your health. Yeah. Right. As we've seen from uh, supersize me. Right. <laughs> totally. So <laughs> need any more evidence of right. that. So anyway, so like the point is, is that like, we have to also remember like as artists, these types of communications are happening to us around other things. Um, you know, like for example, um, follow the rules and everything will be okay. That's the same as drink a Coke and you'll, you'll feel good. It's the same thing, but it's not true. And it's contradicting. Follow the rules and everything will be okay. Follow the rules and you'll have the life. That's not actually panning out anymore. Our yeah. generation's starting to wake up to that. If you follow the rules, you might wake up one day and be like, I hate my life. And you know what? I'm divorced and I'm overweight. And, and this is happening to people and this is real. But when you're, when you're young and you're idealistic and you're optimistic, and you don't realize that the programming is severe and you haven't woken up to the reality, you know, one day you do, and it's too, it's, it's not, it's too late, but you've kind of woken up and you've lost years. Yeah. You've lost time. And so like, um, I, my, I advocate critical think, you know, critically think about your life. Like don't just trust and listen and follow rules. Secondly, get in tune with your values. What are the most important things to you? you know, um, and, and start to listen to you. Stop listening to everybody else. That's how it's going to happen. You know, um, and don't just listen to what feels good, but listen to what, what is that like thing calling you inside? What do you want to do? And then once you start listening to that, you're going to start figuring out how do I do that? You know, if you want to write, start figuring out how to do that. You know, like I don't think that our big goals in life are about eating a delicious meal. Like, I think that's a temporary thing that we want in the immediate, but I think for the most part, we, we have bigger visions, bigger ideas. We, we see ourselves with families and with houses and with dream jobs and traveling the world. And we see things like that. Right. And so when you, when you get that sensation, you get that idea, start, start listening to that and, and stop letting like government and, and companies and corporations tell you what to do. Because the only way I think an artist is ever going to find their voice is when they start listening to their own voice, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, if someone tells you to do something and, and the exchange is they'll like you for it, or they're not going to like you if you don't do what they want, be willing to be disliked because the cost, 
the cost is too detrimental, you know? And if they don't like you for your choices, why are you hanging out with them anyway? Why are you listening to them? And just because here's another thing, and I just have to go off on this for one last thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you're in, someone's in a position, like they're a teacher, they're a politician, they're a police officer. I don't care who they are. Their position does not mean that their voice is something you have to listen to. Because every single person is a human being. You put on a badge, you put on a, 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 a teacher outfit, whatever the hell it is. It doesn't give, you're not, your father, your mother, they do not have more of a voice than you do. So you do not have to listen to them. Whether they're the, they're a billionaire and you want to be like them, their voice is no more important than yours is. Yeah. And the best mentors I have are the mentors where they might give me some advice, but I, and if I don't agree with that, I'll come back with, well, here's what I, what I'm thinking about that. And this is how I'm interpreting that. And what they love that. Because now, like, like, I don't just follow orders. Like, we have a discussion about it. And by the end of it, either they're telling me why, and which is giving me the motivation and clarity, or they're going, you know what? I never really thought about that. I actually called one of my mentors out the other day. I said, you know, you said this thing that other people aren't happy. And I said, I don't agree with that. You don't know if they're not happy. Because you only know what you feel and I only know what I feel. In fact, I don't know what you feel and you have no idea what I feel. And he was like, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I take that back. I don't know if people are happy or not happy. In my interpretation, from what I'm seeing, it it looks like they're not as happy as they could be. And so we went, great, let's carry on. But it's like, it's like, no, I got to call you out on that. Now that that's just kind of my awareness about it. But we went, boom, we went forward, but it's not just, and, and, and I find that people appreciate that when Mm -hmm. you come back at it and you say, I'm not just going to blindly follow this. Yeah. Right. Because all of a sudden you start taking everything and it's, some of it's not good for you. Right. And to bring this into artistry. Sure. Right. To bring this in, it's, I mean, I think that for me, what I, what I want to where I want to take this is like, so as, as artists, I mean, this is, this is getting into your, the value of your voice and the value of your values and, and knowing what those are weighing the things that, sh- that you are being received, the messages that you are receiving against your own values and speaking of, I mean, into, and specifically with a lot of the things that you were talking about there, I mean, there, how many countless artists have, talked about things like consumerism, you know, who have gone and taken a look at those things and, and figure figured out that they have an opinion on these things and they have a passion about these things. Fight Club was one of the biggest movies on consumerist culture that's in recent memory. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I really, I really like what you're saying. Uh, well, I think it, I think it relates to the fact that like, you know, consumerism, um, consumerism supports the idea that we need to follow a life of industry. I think this is the point that, you know, I was trying to get to earlier, but, um, I'm kind of coming back around to it. Basically think about it this way. If you need to buy all this stuff, then you need to make X amount of money to live because you have to buy all this stuff. So therefore you can't get by on like, say you, you like, okay, granted you have kids, you have a wife, a husband, a house, a car responsibilities. Okay. 
So whatever you've created this life for yourself, you got to figure out how to kind of maintain that fine, but we don't need as much as we think we need. But when you're sold that you do, like my life's not complete without a dishwasher, without a laundry machine, without, um, you know, a fridge, a microwave, uh, bookshelves, couches, bed, whatever, all this stuff then your life becomes more complicated. The more stuff you have, the more money yeah. you need to have it. You need to have this clothes because you couldn't possibly go the night again wearing the same outfit. Because what would everyone think? You know, the more that you enforce these ideas into yourself, the more that it forces you to have to make money to cover that. Yeah. So then, so now, and so then people start going, well, I couldn't be an artist because I can't make enough money. And it's like, well, maybe you could be an artist but maybe you're just not willing to because you think you need this much money to support the industry sold lifestyle. But when you step out of that, you can start to actually do your artistry yeah. and realize that you don't need this money because what might be more important is actually doing what you love and care about than opposed to yeah. buying all the shit. And on a bigger level too, I mean, there's, there's all of the, you know, within artistic fields. I mean, there's trends and there's things that we're just like, Oh, this is what's hot right now. This is what's, what's, what's big. And you end up following those things. And it's, and again, you're, you're caught in a cycle of chasing. Right. And that's the same thing. Consumerism is a constant thing of chasing because like, it doesn't matter if you, if you've bought all of these things, like if you have like this couch, this, this bed, this car, this, you know, whatever, because guess what? Oh, well, there's a new one out now. Right? Like, and it's, and it's endless. It's, it's endless. endless. And, and they're always going to keep making it better. And you keep making it better one. and better and better and better and better. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, that's awful. Yeah. That is absolutely awful. And it leaves you, I don't know, it leaves you with just a bunch of distractions. It leaves you with a bunch of, with no sense of, of who you are, what you really want, what, and, and I think this is pertinent to, to artists because I think as artists, I mean, you've got to dive into that kind of shit. You've got to, you've got to be a critical thinker, you know, as, as an artist, you've, you've got to be engaged with what's going on out there. You've got to be engaged with the messages that the world is seeing because we're communicating messages too. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, we hold the mirror. That's what so many people have said of ours. You hold the mirror. You say, it's like, Hey, look this, look, this is, this is the shit that we're looking at Yeah. right now. Look at what we're doing. Right. Like very often, not, that's not always the case, but I mean, there's so many different ways. I mean, comedians have so brilliantly, I mean, I think comedy is one of the most in extraordinary art forms that we have discovered. Yeah has people because comedy has a way of, of really just showing us the absolute absurdity of the things that we do, you know, the things that we don't think about that we, that we engage with. And we just go, Oh yeah, that is kind of stupid. Right. You know, like you watch the greats, like, like George Carlin or, um, CK Lewis or yeah, Louis CK. Yeah. Louis CK. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Louis CK is one of, one of those people too. I mean, and there's, there's so many great comedians out there who are, who are, are brilliant at doing that. Yeah. You know, like they just, well, Louis CK has this one thing and, and just to kind of give an example, cause I know what you're talking about, but he talks about how like they're on an airplane and they're like, um, they found out they have Wi-Fi in the airplane and then they're like, Oh, everyone's like, great. And then they're like, Oh, the Wi-Fi is not working. And the person next to him is like, Oh, stupid. What the hell? You know, it's so blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he's like, 
I can't believe you're mad about this thing you didn't even know you had 30 seconds ago. And it's like, or he's like, he talks about how people get mad at their phone being slow. And it's like, it's going to space. Give it a second. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but we have like, like we're so ungrateful for all this stuff that we have, you know what I mean? And, and we start to get so entitled to it all. And comedy does bring the absurdity of that out. Like these great comedians really help us see like, we're pretty ridiculous about a lot of stuff, you know? And, um, you know, and it all becomes relative. I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem with materialism too, is, you know, once you get used to something, then when you take it away, it's kind of like, you feel like, oh, I should have this, but it's like, no, everything is like a luxury. You know what I mean? Like power windows in your car. That's a luxury. You know what I mean? Like, Like an automatic car or whatever. It's luxury. Having a car, luxury. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but yet we, we, we kind of walk around like, oh, well we should just have this stuff, you know? And the thing is, is like, you don't, the, the entitlement to it is part of what restricts us from seeing how, how we don't actually need it. And, and like, but we've defined our life by it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is very restrictive because like, it's like I started this conversation with, sometimes it's better to not have support because when you take away those people who are supporting you, you know, you don't have any support. You're weak. You fall over. When you learn how to support yourself, like I, like I, I think a great exercise for everybody, every artist, anyone who, who, who deems themselves to want to be an artist in any way, go without a car, a phone, uh, you know, eat as light as you possibly can do this for a month, you know, function, work as few days as you possibly can at your job, function on as little money as you possibly can learn how to function without stuff just remove things, take away your television and your Netflix. You're not allowed to turn it on for a month. Take away your couch. You're not allowed to sit on a couch. You have to sit on a hard chair, start doing things. Maybe you have to sit on the floor. Don't do it. You know, like learn to, to go without, because then you're going to start to find out you don't need this stuff. And then what's going to happen is you're going to start looking around your environment after that month. And you're just going to start to go, well, why do I have this? Like, and you know, and you're not going to want to necessarily collect so much more because you're going to start to realize that, Hey, you know, by not making myself so comfortable with all this other stuff, I started to wake up. I started to be aware, you know? So, and it, a lot of and most people, there's going to be like 1% of people who probably do this, Yeah. but that 1%, you guys are going to be awesome because you're going to wake up. Well, you know? even, even just through like doing some of that, yeah. like, Hey, you know what? Cut off your TV. Sure. Like don't like cut off like TV, like movies and like coming from people who are in that field, (laughs) but like, no, seriously, like cut off your, like no TV of any, like in any form whatsoever for like just a week. Yeah. Try it for a week and see how you feel. Like I've done that before and just been like, Oh my God, I spent so much time watching you. And like in that time, it's like, I played more guitar. I read more. I did more writing. Like I was just like, I was doing so many more things that were just like really creatively fulfilling. Right. You know, or listening to music, like sitting and really listening to like a great album or something like that. Totally. Like you just like, I guess you could argue that these are just like, you're substituting one distraction for another, but I don't know. I feel That's like what it is though. It's substitution. Well, I was going to say like, I don't want to cut you off, but, um, last two weeks I've been on this fit fall 2016 diet or whatever, which is basically no bread, no sugar and, and, uh, no bread, no sugar, no dairy. Right. But it's basically 
I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lax on it. You know, like I'm having a beer right now, but we cut down our beer to half the amount we drink on a podcast. So yeah. it's like one beer instead of like two and a half or whatever. Just why we're a little bit more lucid by the end of the podcast. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, and also like in substitutions, you know, like for example, I used to put cream in my sugar. I might put like a little bit of almond milk. I used to put honey. I might, or I might put refined sugar. I might put a little bit of honey in there, yeah. but whatever, like instead of bread, I mean, this was a bigger switch, but instead of any time I about have bread, wrap that stuff in lettuce or kale. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just substitute, change the thing that you would normally use, but change it to something better. And I think that's where it starts. Um, and I, I've, I, and I learned that lesson from actually, uh, a nutritionist, which is that you're never going to stop this stuff. So instead of watching TV, when you would watch TV, go do something you would want to do. So it's not just stop watching TV. It's not just stop doing this stuff. Do something that substitute that you think is a better option. So for example, if you, you know, you have a uh, big soda, every meal, change it to water. So now it's water for X amount of time. Start to see how you feel. You, you know, I drank water. I was doing some bodybuilding. I drank water for six months, basically two liters every day. I cannot tell you how good my skin looked, how energy, how much energy I had, um, how fit my body was. I just, and no soda, absolutely no soda or pop yeah. or whatever, right? None. And that made a massive difference, you know? And so like before that though, until you cut it out, you kind of think you need it you know, but you're going to substitute. Everything's yeah. a substitute because what are you going to do with that time? Like that time that you would have been watching TV, all of a sudden you're going to be like twiddling your thumbs. Well, you do something, do something you want to do, you know? So it's like, there's all this replaceable time. Like when people say they don't have time, it's like such a funny comment too, because it's like, well, you have time substitute something that's not good for you for something that is yeah. and watch how much time you end up having. Yeah. yeah. And watch how creative you get. Totally. Yeah. You start getting creative when you don't numb yourself yeah. out with all this. It's like a little pattern interrupt, totally. right? A little yeah. pattern interrupt can go a long way Yeah, in terms of getting into that creative space, right? Totally. Well, yeah, let's I wrap f- it up. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Cause I feel the, the, that push to the washroom calling me. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You broke the seal early and now you're ready I to go again. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> all right. Okay. So what, uh, was there any points of what you want to leave everybody with? Well, I mean, this was a kind of a nice little wander that we did today. We got into a lot of different subjects. Um, yeah, I don't, I'll start. I, yeah, go for it. Kinda, sure. Yeah, sure. So, so what I've, what I've kind of gathered from this podcast and it wasn't not so serious Sunday, so it's not topical. We didn't have one specific topic we were on, but I I'd say the lesson that, uh, you know, to, that I'd want people to take away from this is to stop, just turn off a certain distraction and turn on a certain interaction, you know, substitute a distraction for an interaction. And what I mean is when you would be, uh, when you would be sitting there watching TV, call a friend and go talk to the friend for a little bit, or, you know, um, go, just go do something that helps build your life in a certain way. And, um, we did cover a lot of topics. So I'll add one other one that I want to throw in there, which is that you and I and every single person, we all have a very unique and interesting voice inside of us. And I think that outside of being children, you know, it's been very hushed and shut down. And I think our job as artists and my call to action for the artists on this is start to make that voice a little louder. Mm -hmm. Let's hear it. Let's start to hear what you think. 
and it, you know, and, and, uh, don't be scared to be wrong and don't be scared if people don't like it or agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I'm going to jump off from on that. Okay. And I'm going to say, I, I guess I, I realized there's one sort of a common thing thread that seemed to, to be through this was, um, pay attention to the, the messages that you are receiving in your life. And I don't mean that in like a real, like, uh, in a real woo woo kind of a way. <laughs> I mean that in like, like literally like look at, you know, we, we got into this whole thing, commercialism and stuff, but like, look at the, the messages that you are, are, are receiving from like advertisements in media, uh, and, and other artistic mediums and film and whatever. And as well as the people in your life, because we talked about that, you know, like people who are your champions or your challengers, right? Pay attention to the messages that you are receiving, right? And put them up against your, against yourself, you know, take these things in and go, it's like, well, how do I actually feel about that? What do I actually think about that? Do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? Do I agree with some of it? (laughs) Right. And not this part of it. Like, but like, try these things on. See, it's like, what do you think? Start to, f- to figure out what you actually, how you actually feel hmm. about the world that you are participating in. Um, so take part in that. And, and also, uh, you know, again, cause I'm, I'm just a huge stickler for this sort of thing. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> the, the technical side of, of art is secondary and it's really about getting in touch with the things that help you into that creative space that, that tap you into it. And, um, and, and that's different for, for everyone. Mm. And, and you'll know the feeling when it hits you, you'll know it when it's happening to you. And that's, that's the goal that you're looking for head in that direction, as opposed to, the color by numbers crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was awesome. That was, a, that was a good close. I like that. Perfect. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I did. I enjoyed <laughs> it. I hope everyone else did too. See y'all later. later. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.